welcome to the Met Aaron podcast. I'm Liz Walsh. I'm Noel Fitzpatrick, and in today's episode, we'll be talking to Met Aaron's head of forecasting, Evelyn Cusack, about this year's winter ready campaign and how to be prepared for what this season's weather may have in store for us. Before that, though, we'll discuss what happens behind the scenes in Met Aaron in the build up to a potential severe weather event. So today, as mentioned, we are discussing what happens behind the scenes in Metairn when we think there's maybe a major weather event or a storm approaching. So obviously, uh, we're looking, when it's a few days out, we're looking at more like long range or medium range forecasting. And there's a whole range of tools that we have for doing that, right? Sure, no, there's um, there's global models um, and they're kind of the main indicators. Like, you know, we use deterministic and ensemble models like like you heard in episode four. Um, but basically, um, we, we're using global models and NWP um, information to to disseminate um, what's coming down the line. And one of the things that we, we look at um, in the longer term is um, monthly forecasts. Now, the, the skill of those is not... Amazing. Sure. Um, but, you know, within the first two weeks, um, it can be pretty good and it can give a steer um, as to what's uh, coming down the line, whether there's um, a an anomaly towards low pressure or high pressure. So if there's an anomaly towards low pressure. We kind of take note of that and we'll we'll think about, oh, so low pressure, that can mean storms, that can mean bad weather, high pressure um, in different situations. I mean, if you're in the summertime, it can mean hot temperatures, depending on where it's coming from. Or in the wintertime, it can mean frosts and because of clear skies. So that kind of thing. So we'll always be keeping an eye on those indicators to figure out what's coming down the line. Absolutely. I guess when we get a bit closer than maybe within 10 days or so, uh, we have a number of models, some that we maybe trust more than others. So one, for example, the European Centre for Medium Range Forecasting, that is, we get a, a 10 day forecast from that, right? And, and that's kind of almost a benchmark for that medium range term. Certainly, there's there's more skill as you get into the 10, 10 day range. Um, but um, it's not just one model from the ECMWF we're looking at. We'll be looking at, you know, 50 different members. Um, so it's, it's more the ensembles that we look at. So the ensembles kind of give a probability of, um, of what type of weather one could expect. So um, if there's like a like we call it a spread, if there's a wide spread in the solutions, we know that it's uncertain. And even though it's uncertain, that's still information. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, we know that it's uncertain, but sometimes um, you can look at the the spread of the solutions and they might all be pointing one way, like up or down in, in terms of pressure or, um, you know, wind or temperature. And so from that, we can infer uh, some kind of skill as to as to what we what we can be expecting down the line. Sure. And as you mentioned, we talked to uh, Alan Halley in a couple a couple of episodes ago about this type of forecast. You know, essentially ensembles, you're running a forecast and multiple forecasts for the same period of time. And as you say, you're getting an idea of how predictable the atmosphere is, how much uncertainty there is in a certain forecast and maybe what the timing or the severity of a particular weather event might be, the range of that, I guess. As well, certainly as well. And 
another important thing is like, you know, we talk about global. So we, we do look at global weather and a lot of our weather, um, you know, some can originate uh, far away from from our shores. Um, so we might look over to the United States because a lot of our weather comes from from the West, from the from the Atlantic. Um, so if there's a sharp temperature gradient um, over the United States, this can um, power a a strong jet stream and that can be a breeding ground for low pressure systems as well. So we'd be kind of looking at indicators like that, um, you know, and and as well, obviously, you know, it, during the, the tropical season or tropical hurricane season, we'd be looking um, towards the tropics as well. I guess even closer to home, we have what some people may have heard is the, the NAO or the North Atlantic Oscillation. And there's this index it's looking at the pressure difference between this low pressure that generally sort of hangs out around Iceland and a high pressure that we get over the Azores. And that difference in pressure between the two of those, it can play a really important role in, in steering the direction of these storms, right? Definitely, yeah. Um, and it's it's more, um, I guess, prescient or um, more noticeable in the wintertime. It's um, the... Predictability or the um, skill of the NAO index in summertime is a little more diffuse, I guess, in some ways. Sure. Um, but in, in the wintertime, it can um, very much indicate um, whether we're in for stormy weather or um, something a little more settled. And if we're going to be in for stormy weather. So um, the question might be, how far out can we tell that we might be in for stormy weather? And I guess the answer to that is, it varies, right, depending on what type of storm we're it, looking at. It totally varies, <laughs> absolutely. Um, so you might, you know, around seven days, you might start to see some kind of sign um, that there there could be something um, down the line. But equally, even sometimes three days out, um, it can be really um, difficult to decipher. So people might remember just a, a few weeks ago, we had... Um, Storm Lorenzo, which came quite close to Ireland and, and passed over. And the that was initially obviously a hurricane. It was detected um, by the National Hurricane Centre and named Hurricane Lorenzo. Um, and it was, you were actually on duty, Liz, when it, it first sort of suggested it might come towards us. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it, uh, Lorenzo was, was kind of uh, rolling around in the tropical Atlantic um, uh, from around the 22nd of September. Um, and it formed quite close to the Cape Verde Islands. Um, usually they kind of move a little further west before they become hurricanes. Um, so it kind of became a hurricane in the eastern Atlantic. And that was a, a, a record, right? It was the strongest ever uh, it was a Category 5, so the strongest uh, category of hurricane we that's get. That's right, that's right. I was on night shift when I saw the advisory come in. At, um, I think it was around 3 in the morning, um, our time, but um, that it briefly uh, reached Category 5 in the in the Eastern Atlantic. And I think the the farthest Eastern Category Absolutely, 5 yeah. um, in the Atlantic, yeah. So um, from then on, I knew that... Uh, we were kind of in for <laughs> a busy week um, trying to figure out where it was going to go and um, and what like what kind of an effect it would have um, on on us. Absolutely. So we've identified that there's an event coming. So this could be any sort of event, but say in the case of Lorenzo. So I'm, I'm, the main questions, I guess, are what, when and where, you know, how severe it's going to be, uh, where it's going to affect in Ireland and, and how soon do we expect it? 
Certainly. And like I, I spoke with, um, I actually spoke with John Cangelosi from the National Hurricane Centre on the Sunday morning after I finished night shift. He, he was, you know, the National Hurricane Centre calls. You always know it's going to be busy if the National Hurricane right. Centre calls. And, and um, we, we spoke to John in episode three of our that's podcast. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And um, we were discussing the the track um, of the hurricane because at that point it looked like it was maybe going towards uh, northern France but there was a huge like I said a huge spread in the solutions some of the solutions had it going up towards Iceland or Greenland so the so you can see the level of uncertainty at that point that Saturday or Sunday morning was you you know something like 1500 nautical miles you know it could could have gone anywhere it was like Greenland to northern France and it's how do you uh, communicate that level of uncertainty, even though it looks like, you know, as we know with with hurricanes, when they come north, they do speed up um, and and it can like instead of like in the tropics, they can be relatively slow moving. But once they meet the the, the jet stream or, or get into the westerly westerly um, flow in the in the mid latitudes, they speed up. Absolutely. You've got all these different forecasters wondering at, at different in different countries and different forecast offices where it's going to go. And that's where this um, collaboration and communication between the between these different groups comes really important, right? So if we see a potential event, say for example, if it's a tropical cyclone in origin, we'll be talking with the National Hurricane Center, we'll be talking maybe with the, the UK Met Office. And in fact for Lorenzo we were having daily briefings in the morning with the National Hurricane Center. So in addition to talking to all of the other European weather services that may be influenced by a particular event, we're also getting the message out to other organizations and, and briefing other um, sort of government bodies and things like that. That's right. As, as any potential weather event is identified, um, the following questions, you know, they'll be asked quite regularly. It'll be in the lead up um, to the potential event. It'll be, does it is this going to trigger a meeting with the NDFAM, which is the National Emergency uh, Coordination Group? Um, is this going to significantly increase the workload in the forecast office? These kind of questions. Um, is, the, is it possible that staff will be affected travelling to and from work? Um, and so if there are any, any of these questions are the answer is yes, then the relevant planning and preparations will kick in. In the lead up to a severe event, the phone lines in the forecast room get really, really busy. Get a lot of journalists um, ringing up for information and and, um, a lot of, you know, just people on Twitter just asking for more information. And sometimes I think in some ways the the limitations of meteorology and the limitations of the forecast – sometimes cannot keep up to um, the demands of what society expects sometimes. Um, They expect they want a definitive answer straight away as to um, what's going to happen. And the answer even, you know, two two days out can still be, well, it's uncertain. I think it, it will become easier as well when we move to this ensemble forecast that we've been talking about through the podcast, really, this 
where we're expressing the uncertainty and the probability in the forecast. You know, we'd be saying, well, there's a percentage chance that this will happen or this may happen. So maybe then we'll have um, the uncertainty that what we know is inherent in every forecast is more uh, visible to uh, the broader public, right? Yeah, certainly. The like the the idea of like you know a ninety percent chance of rain versus a thirty percent chance of rain that kind of that kind of thing, but also I guess as well because of the increase in media requests, we we also have to we the forecast office becomes um, larger. Um, more people come up uh, from different departments and we all kind of muck in together a little bit um, in a way like, you know, because if there's a severe weather event coming, um, a lot of people want to know when, what is, what could this be comparable to? So we'll call on the climatological department to kind of dig out the um, information, like, you know, for example, you know, with Storm Emma, you know, it was the 1982 um, big snow um, that that was kind of the the go to um, event to kind of compare um, things with and and also um, with Ophelia it was um, you know there was a hurricane in the nineteen sixties Hurricane Devi um, in somewhere in early sixties we don't have a lot of information on it but we do know that. Um, you know, some parts of the country had their highest gusts ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something that would still be in the living memory of, of members of the public that's rather right. than compared to. That's it. right. And so we, we'd call on our climatological division and lean on them heavily to um to get that information out of the out of the archive or out of the database um to figure out to answer these questions that are that were being asked. And equally well we'll call on, you know, the Department of Research if they've been working on new products that are experimental, um, they may not be operational, but if they're, they just if they can give us more information, um, it might be something new that they've been working on and it's not quite ready yet, but um, they're testing it on this event um, and we can maybe have a look at that raw data and see if we can glean any more information from it. Absolutely. Even from the most recent Lorenzo, we've seen, products that were tested, as you've just said, that now we're trying to make operational as a result because they were very useful uh, to the forecasters during that, that period. That's right. As we're getting closer and closer to this potential event occurring, you know, we're sort of the days and hours leading up to the sources of information we're looking at change, right? Because we have more sources of inf- information. We have uh, access to our, our short-term models as well, our short-term forecast models. Certainly, once we're in the 54-hour uh, window of um, the forecast period, that's when the high resolution models uh, kick in. That's our um, harmony model. Right? That's right. Um, and we get to look at that. And also 36 hours is another important one, because as we talked about with Alan in episode four about the IREPS, which is the um, the ensemble high resolution ensemble prediction system as well. And we'd be looking at that very closely to see um, the the probabilities and potential um, for for what's coming um, down the line, especially with regard to you know placement of where the centre of the storm is, that that will also inform and make the forecast better. And obviously, as it gets closer, the forecast model, models start to line up, and um, and well, hopefully, start to line up. Sometimes they they just don't, <laughs> um, and that's where the forecaster comes in. <laughs> But um, and by lineup you mean in comparison to models from other agencies or other. That's yeah. right. We'll we'll be always comparing. Um, we're not just looking at one model. We're looking at 
all of them and trying to um, get a consensus. Um, but we know the strengths and weaknesses as meteorologists. We know the strengths and we- weaknesses of of each model and we'll we'll kind of take that into account and in our judgment of of where it's placing um, certain uh, certain weather uh, parameters. And as the storm approaches and the, the time to its uh, arrival gets closer, we can focus in on what the main hazards are going to be of a particular system, whether it's going to be, you know, winds affecting one area or severe rain or, you know, coastal flooding or something like that. And I remember with in the build up to Lorenzo, because this was a, a, a storm that had traveled a long distance over the ocean for quite a long period of time, large waves were the big concern uh, with Lorenzo. Um, I spoke to one of Met Aaron's uh, marine researchers, uh, Dr. Sarah Gallagher, in the build-up to that storm, and she was telling me a little so bit about it. It's really good. So I'm looking at wave direction, period. I'm looking at the significant wave height. Um, and typically with the significant wave height, you can expect um, individual waves to be up to twice Right. what you get in the significant wave height. Now, the record for the M6 uh, in significant wave height is actually 17.2 metres, which is absolutely huge. We're not going to see anything like that now mm-hmm. with Lorenzo. Um, uh, that was back in 2007. So um, you can expect, I think, you know, 10 to 12 metres significant wave heights. With um, this current storm. Yeah, so with this current storm, Lorenzo, that's it's, it's arriving in kind of Thursday evening over into Friday morning. And so you see here, you've got the highest, I'm just looking at a chart here from the ECMWF, looking at significant wave height, and it's also showing the direction, so you can see a westerly, um, a westerly wave direction. And what we have is um, significant wave values. So I don't know if I look here. Um, yeah, so they're in, you know, eight to 10 metres kind of mm-hmm. further south and then Mayo down into Galway Bay, like this is offshore now, mm-hmm. um, 10 to 12 metres. So, you know, we'd expect significant. And over here we have this um, EFI, so extreme forecast index. And you can see here that there's a lot of red colours and equating to kind of a 0.8, 0.9 measure on the EFI. And what that means is that um, the weather or the waves are, will be unusual or very unusual okay. for the time of year. Sure. So We heard Sarah mention know, so something there about be, the EFI. Uh, what, uh, what is she referring to? That's the extreme forecast index. And uh, that's one of the things that I would use um, uh, in the run up to um, a severe weather event. It's, um, it's a product uh, from the ECMWF, which is the European Centre for Weather Forecasting, um, that, um, of which we are a member. It's based on climatology and it shows how extreme the whatever parameter it is so for example a wind gust it looks at the climatology of, of the time of year um, and the the place and and everything like that um, it looks at it and then calculates um, how uh, strong or extreme that parameter is going to be um, compared to climatology. So how unusual a particular event is in comparison to the normal weather you might be expecting for... That's right. Mm. And it, it also helps to kind of um, focus, um, like, you know, because it gives you the 90th percentile, the most extreme solution. Coming up to um, Ophelia, for example, I remember seven days out, I looked at the EFI for wind over Ireland and I noticed something that I didn't normally notice. Usually Ireland's just clean. <laughs> um, there's nothing over it. But there was a signal 
in the EFI wind um, seven days out in in that in that product. And then each day that I checked it or each day that the you know the next run came in, each run the the signal became greater. Mm. Um, and so that's when the the forecast model was being consistent and it was building and becoming more extreme as as the event approached. And so that's that increases our certainty um, in the probability of the potential event occurring and also the potential that it might be an extreme event. So it's definitely um, like it's, it's a really useful tool for, for forecasters to look at. And forecasters, so we have all these sources of information and we are using them to make um, the best uh, forecast that we can. And then we've there are a whole bunch of channels, communication channels that we use to get this information out. We're trying to get information out to the media also. Obviously, the forecast desk, as you mentioned, is a very busy time in the build-up to this period. Certainly, and you definitely, this is definitely the case um, with, uh, you know, tropical, um, ex-tropical storms or um, storms of tropical nature because, um, storms of tropical nature are a little bit different to mid-latitude storms. Mid-latitude storms are can sometimes just f- form very quickly and then they um, they leave very quickly or or um, dissolve very quickly. Um, whereas a tropical storm can is quite slow moving. It can be tracked, um, and it is perfect for um, for media uh, to like and Twitter to track. Because each model updates and, and you're watching it for, for days and days, whereas um, you can see it on the satellite, um, you can see it, you know, changing or becoming stronger, becoming weaker, those kind of things. And in some cases, um, we are often forced to mention severe weather events um, prematurely. Like I said earlier, sometimes the demands, the limitations of forecasting and meteorology don't keep up with society's demands. They want a yes, no answer. And the answer can sometimes just be uncertain. (laughs) I guess as well, if you have a system that, as you mentioned, say, started in the tropics, perhaps it was at one point labelled a hurricane. Um, That label can tend to stick with the system and it adds to this uh, Well, certainly. I mean, we've all seen what happened um, in the Bahamas recently um, with uh, Dorian. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it completely flattened the place. And so obviously people associate that with a hurricane. But once hurricanes transfer up into the mid-latitudes, they're often weaker systems. They can sometimes transform into strong mid-latitude systems. That's right. But a lot of the time they are weakening. Um, But they still have that, um, if you like, sexy, (laughs) sexy label. They they were a hurricane once and even a Category 5 hurricane once. And so that... um, tends to fire the public imagination and the media's imagination um, with regard to that. And it can become a bit of a a hyped uh, um, news article. Mm -hmm. It's a fine balance, right? I mean, it's uh, useful to have, um, as we we might talk about this a bit later with Evan, but useful useful to have a name that you can use to to talk about an event and to generate awareness. Um, But as a scientific organization that Medern is, we will provide the best information we have scientifically, and that may not be necessarily 
uh, always the most exciting or always the most uh, specific, but we will give the best information we can based on the evidence and based on the facts. That's so right. At the end of the day, like our... Um, you know, modus operandi is to protect people's lives and livelihood from the weather. Um, like, and sometimes, you know, people might laugh at that because we don't really often get very extreme weather in Ireland. But that is that is what we're about. We're the guardians of the weather. We're twenty four hour service that is weather watching, watching over um, what's happening over Ireland. That's that's what we are, are like employed to do. Um, and it is what we do. <laughs> um, and we need the media in order to get our message across um, if if a message does need to be disseminated. Um, but at the same time, part of our commitment strategy is to be that authoritative voice. And what that means is that we try not to use emotive language when describing the weather. We'll just present the facts as we see them on the day. We are not looking for clicks. We don't have advertisements on our website. We're trying to disseminate information. I guess what we're trying to avoid is a boy cries wolf situation, right? Because we will give out the adequate level of, of information and warnings for, for a given situation. And we want that if we want people to respond to that each time rather than if if maybe a particular situation is um, overly publicized or overly hyped, for example, then the next time when maybe an equally dangerous or more dangerous situation occurs, it's not taken with the same sense of seriousness. So that's, from our perspective, I guess, where the where the damage or the weakening of our message occurs. That's always, time and time again, I've seen on the forecast desk that it's often, it's the storms that are underhyped are often the ones that cause the most damage. And then suddenly the weather becomes the news because of the effect that it had and the people were not prepared. And that's and that's really what we're trying to avoid um, a lot of the time. Um, I think a lot of people just look at their spot location um, on their weather app, whatever, whether that's the MedAaron app or, or any other weather app. And they'll just look at their spot location and they'll see the forecast wind speed and take that as the wind speed that will happen. And, and sometimes that is the wind speed that is going to happen. But there are many situations in especially if you've got a rapidly developmental um, weather situation um, where that wind speed could actually be much lower than what is actually going to occur and that is why um, we we have a met service that provides warnings so we're joined by the head of met Aaron's forecasting Evelyn Cusick Evelyn thanks very much for joining us today hi, hi Noel thanks for having me I'm a big fan. We've been talking earlier with uh, myself and Liz about uh, the build-up to maybe a major storm event or something like that in Medairn and just about how busy it can get in the forecast office. We're coming into winter now. I'd imagine in general that must be the busiest time for you guys. It is because it, it is the storm season, although at our latitudes we can get storms at any time of year, but uh, we get our most storms and our heaviest of rain Again, you can get heavy rain in the summer, but uh, the, in winter, it, the ground is saturated. So I suppose the impacts are biggest in winter. So, yeah. We see this week that we'll be launching the Winter Ready campaign. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, yeah, so I'm very excited about it this year because Met Aaron have curated this year's uh, um, 
team, if you like, and uh, you can find it on our website and also on the Office of Emergency Planning and all local authorities, etc. So uh, the theme for this year is for the Be Winter Ready campaign is sort of know your weather warnings, know Metairn weather warnings and what the colour coding means and what to do when you hear a Metairn warning. Um, so we have a like like you've said, we've had a we have a warning system for major weather events um, with yellow, orange, and red levels, and that's just not here in Ireland. It's actually a Europe-wide phenomenon, isn't it? Yeah, Liz, it's part of the meteor alarm system. So again, you can get that if you go on to met.ie. You can pick up the meteor alarm warning. So that's why it's color coded. So um, yellow is for weather that does not pose a threat to the general population, but can be potentially dangerous locally. So uh, for if we hear there's a yellow uh, warning out, then fine, nothing to see generally. But I would say uh, be aware about uh, what you're doing if you're exposed to danger by nature of your activity or perhaps your specific location. So, for example... Um, if I'm a roofer and there's a yellow wind warning out, well, then perhaps I might reconsider climbing up to the third floor, the, you know, on top of the roof. But if I'm just going for a walk down the road, I'm not going to be affected. So that that's that's what we mean by uh, check if you are exposed to danger by your activity or in fact your location. So a yellow warning is kind of not unusual, but yes. you could have localised danger. Yes. Okay, great. Don't go like kayaking. Maybe if there's a yellow wind warning or if. for thunderstorms. Actually, in 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 the uh, Be Winter Ready brochure, I've mentioned about thunderstorms, and maybe a lot of people don't know that. But you shouldn't be out on a boat in a thunderstorm. Uh, lightning uh, conducts electricity very much so, and also quite often you could be the highest point <laughs> if you're out in the middle of a lake. Especially so you know, I lake. have some useful hints in 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 the brochure here as well. So then we move on to status orange and that's a bit more serious. It's actually very serious. Um, I I think, say we have a yellow out for a full county. Well, then parts of the county could be a high yellow and others could be a low yellow. So there's sort of a judgment judgment call there. But certainly orange... Infrequent, Liz, as you know, as one of our top forecasters, we we hope them to be very infrequent anyway. But uh, it's orange is really warning of dangerous weather conditions, which generally will pose a threat to life and property. So, yes, we take orange very seriously. Check what you're doing, check where you are. But if there's an orange out for the whole county, certainly check your activity or say you're planning an event or going to an event that evening. And I would certainly take advice from the local authority, etc., on perhaps cancelling or delaying the event. We only name a storm if we expect to issue orange level wind warnings. We move on to the the most um, serious of all the warnings, which is a red warning. Um, And so this is really only in very... um, the rare events, basically, are yeah. hopefully a rare event. Yeah, very rare. So um, I've said uh, dangerous weather conditions from intense meteorological phenomena. Um, so a very serious storm or it, it, it could be for heavy snow. 
um, for flooding, for heavy rain or widespread thunderstorms, etc. So if Metairn issue a red warning, then as you know, in the forecast office, all hell breaks loose from coming from the media, coming from inquiries. Uh, so it's something we, we don't do very lightly. In fact, as you know, Liz and Noel, we, do, we only issue warnings uh, based on very good evidence and we take them very seriously. Most of our warnings are issued between 10 a.m. and midday um, uh, based on our uh, Harmony High Resolution uh, Midnight Run using the ensembles and also at 6 a.m. But of course, we update them as new information comes in. You mentioned there that if we expect to have orange level winds over an area that we will name a storm. Why do we name storms? Well, storm naming goes back hundreds of years to uh, the Atlantic, the hurricanes, when this, our bold sailors, our brave sailors, I mean, named them after saints or whatever. But it's very recent in Europe. And in fact, it's only since no, uh, 2015 that Metairn have been naming storms. I mean, gosh, it seems like forever, doesn't it? But we found or we think that naming storms by National Met Services uh, will raise awareness of severe weather and um, adds a clear authoritative voice. So before before 2015, if you like, newspapers were naming storms or the different agencies were naming storms. So. You know, with the spread of Twitter and social media, you could have Storm, whatever Noel is coming, but then another agency could be calling it Storm Liz. So it was getting very confusing. So it's really, it's really to provide an authoritative message for our weather warnings. That's what it's for and for the safety of the citizen. And we collaborate with the UK Met Office and the Dutch Met Office. Is that right? Yeah, the Netherlands just joined us this year, KNMI and the UK Met Office. All National Met Services are under the umbrella group of UMetNet. Mm. So th- this is a UMetNet initiative. And, you know, I am heading up the storm naming group in UMetNet. And as you rightly say, this year now, the West group is Ireland, UK and the Netherlands and the Southwest group, Portugal, Spain and France, and just added to by Belgium. So... Um, we're working on the southeastern Mediterranean, which is a huge group extending from Italy up to Croatia and down to Israel. See, you know the procedure that if if the chief forecaster looking at all the myriad of warnings uh, is expecting a storm, we will then contact our counterpart, say in Metairn, in, in the UK Met Office and in the Netherlands. But you can imagine in Southeast Europe, there's 10 different languages. So it is more difficult in, in that sense. I mean, meteorology is the language of meteorology, but then having to speak on the phone, what do you think? Do you think it's going to be serious? That's another challenge. <laughs> How has this list of names come up with for the different storms? Actually, this year we had quite a good bit of fun. We opened it up uh, to the public, uh, the Irish public and the UK public. So through Scotland, Wales, England, Northern Ireland and Ireland, we got uh, almost 5,000 suggestions. And then I just picked the names anyway. (laughs) (laughs) I think the Netherlands also had a hand as well in some of the names. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So so we're we're sort of... um, 
We don't want two weird names because, you know, we want the public to be able to pronounce them. Pronounce them. <laughs> yes, that's a good point. Um, we want the meteorologists to be able to pronounce them too. And certainly, you know, like you said, you know, there are, there are differences in language terms, you know, among the southeastern bloc. But there's also, you know, between ourselves, like, you know, it might be difficult for a person from the Netherlands to pronounce um, like a name like Mwiren. <laughs> well, I, I'll give you a good one. Um, my my little niece, Sivine. So I, I'm really she she she's not going to get named <laughs> although if if we get to s i i will need the valium you know um like sersha was in the name last year so i felt pretty certain we wouldn't get as far as s <laughs> In fact, it was a very quiet season, wasn't it? It was a very quiet winter last year. We were just south of the jet stream without being too far south, I guess. That's right, yeah. yeah. You you mentioned that you've, um, since the storm names have been brought in, which is relatively recently yeah. for us, have you noticed a difference in how effective they've been in generating awareness? I think they've been very effective. In fact, in fact, too effective at times. And the recent uh, Storm Lorenzo was a case in point. I think a, a lot, a lot of the public were expecting really severe winds and really um, hurricane force winds. Although at no stage was Met Air and forecasting that. So in, in a way, it, it is a victim of its own success in that in that sense that because 10 day forecasts and 10 day charts, the ensembles of the ECMWF, the global models are freely available as they should be, then sometimes um, non-experts, if you like, can sort of promote maybe in 10 days time there's going to be a hurricane. Whereas, uh, you know, I would entreat people and part of the reason for this campaign is that MetAir and each national Met service, we are the people the authoritative voice who named the storms and issued the warnings. I mean, feel free, obviously it's a free country to, you know, talk about the weather and, you know, use all the models, etc. But it's why we only issue warnings based, in fact, on our high resolution model. So that's up to 54 hours ahead. Now, we do issue advisories based on the medium range from ECMWF, but we are very strict about that. Yeah, I think it's like, it's fine to speculate. And also, it, it's sort of like stories like these gain their own momentum. And, you know, one agency or one person says social media, there's a hurricane coming next Wednesday. And then somebody else will read it and say, oh, my gosh, there's a hurricane coming next Wednesday. But, you know, it can gain a life of its own. So, Noel, the, in answer, it is sort of a victim of its own success in a way. But uh, hopefully... Um, uh, it will always be tied in with our warnings. And I mean, it's really up to the National Met Services to try and sort of steady the ship, if you like. Yeah, like we you know, try not to use, we, we actively try not to use emotive language. Yes. Um, and we, we just are just describing the weather and we present the facts as we see them on the day. Yeah, and... Uh, you know, the reason we're in business and the reason the citizen pays our wages is to give forecasts and warnings, you know, to pre prevent the loss of life and to prevent destruction to property. And, you know, that's our business and that's what we work at morning, noon and night. We were talking earlier about uh, when there is a storm event coming, potentially a potential storm event coming and... Um, that you would be involved with this uh, sort of emergency management council. Uh, who, who's, who else is involved? With okay, that? well, local authorities are the lead agencies for coordinating the response to serious weather. And 
Um, but if if a weather event is considered to have a national importance or impact, if you like, then the uh, National Emergency Coordination Group, that's the NECG, will be called. So, and METAIRN is the uh, meteorological advisory to the NECG. It is very high, uh, very high pressure situation, as opposed to low pressure, which normally causes the bad weather. But I mean, I'm there as Met Aaron's meteorological advisor. So a lot of the emergencies are weather-led. In fact, Met Aaron have been there for the foot and mouth, the volcanic ash, heavy rain, heavy snow, <laughs> winds, you name it, we're generally involved or the weather is involved. Um, now, um, most forecasts have a degree of uncertainty about them. So obviously my colleagues on the National Emergency Committee, they want to know impacts. So it's very, you know, it's very hard to give impacts for an event that hasn't happened yet and that you don't know exactly what the event is going to be, the severity of the winds, the severity of the rain. And even if you do get 50 to 100 millimetres of rain, it's very hard to gauge what impact that will have. So their questions are, will trees be uprooted? Will will um, buildings be damaged? Will power lines, will power lines come down? So th- that's what I find very pressurised, trying to judge impacts. So it's easier to say there'll be 30 to 90 millimetres of rain across a wide area. Do you know what I mean? So we've, I've got the uncertainty in the actual meteorological parameters and then I've got the uncertainty in the impact. So, yeah, it's very, very stressful. <laughs> it's a role that's kind of what the forecaster, it's what we're kind of morphing into. Yes. Is that we have to be aware of what the impacts of, rather than just like forecasting the uncertainty in the, in the, um, in the meteorological parameters, we're also being asked to provide what what those impacts are. And I think, you know, you have to be a very um, well-trained, high-level mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, lateral thinker um, to, to be able to do that. And your local knowledge must be quite important as yeah, well. That's true, yeah, that's true. Well, it, it can be. Um, well, well, thankfully, we're now setting up our uh, flood forecasting centre and th- that is providing very good guidance as well. Um and Owen Sherlock, the new head of the Flood Forecasting Centre, actually came in with me was it, uh, and gave briefings uh, for the Storm Lorenzo event. And as you know, there was a lot of flooding in Donegal and in the northwest from that. If you had a final take-home message for people today in preparation for the winter ahead, what would it be? Well, I guess... Uh, c- Go on to our website, go on and and read the Be Winter Ready um, information. There's a lot of good advice there about stocking up, getting batteries, etc. And follow the Metairn warnings and the Metairn message and the message from the local authorities. And don't be too too alarmed by other media noise. And I don't mean media noise, I mean social media, do you know what I mean? Noise out there in the in the ether. Um, and I, I guess that's my message is, is to take the, if you like, professional advice and to take care and let's hope let's hope we have a nice quiet winter I really do hope it's a quiet winter Avalyn thanks so much for coming in and talking to us um, today in the podcast oh thanks and I look forward to all your future podcasts well done I really enjoyed them thanks Avalyn
For our climate summary this month, we'll go over to Paul Moore now, who has the details on how our weather has been this past October. Here are the highs and lows for October 2019, based on data from Medairn's 25 synoptic weather stations. October was a cooler than average month everywhere in Ireland. It was also quite a sunny month. It was wetter than average in the south, but drier than average for most other parts. With a mostly negative North Atlantic oscillation through October, a suddenly tracking jet stream was a notable influence on our weather. This kept Ireland on the northern cooler side of the jet stream for the most part, which led to the cooler than average month. Low pressure systems pushed up from the south or southwest on numerous occasions during the month, leading to the above average rainfall in the south. One such system, ex-Hurricane Lorenzo, weakened as it moved over the country on the 3rd and 4th. There were also several dry, settled spells during the month, with plenty of late autumn sunshine. The wettest place in October was Valencia Observatory, County Kerry, with 202.4 mm of rainfall, which is 14% above average. The driest place was the Phoenix Park in Dublin, with 73.2 mm, 8% below average. The wettest day of the month was at Moore Park, County Cork, on Monday the 14th, with 56.2 mm of rainfall. The highest monthly mean temperature for October was on Shirkin Island in County Cork with 11.6 degrees Celsius, which is 0.4 degrees Celsius below its average, while the lowest mean temperature was 8.4 degrees Celsius at Knock Airport, 0.5 degrees Celsius below its average. The lowest temperature for the month was reported at Mark Cree County Sligo on the 28th with minus 3.4 degrees Celsius. The lowest grass temperature was minus 8.3 degrees Celsius at Mount Dillon County Roscommon, also on the 28th. The highest temperature for the month was reported at Oak Park County Carlow on the 7th with 17.7 degrees Celsius. Storm force winds were reported on the 4th during Storm Lorenzo. Even though Ireland was cooler than average for October, globally October was the warmest October on record, 0.69 degrees Celsius above average narrowly beating October 2015, the second warmest, and October 2017, the third warmest, thus continuing the general upward trend in global temperatures. Thanks for that, Paul. Well, that's all we have time for. Our thanks again to Evelyn Cusick for joining us this month, Alan Bennett at Headstuff, and the communications team at Medairn. Thanks for tuning in, and as always, you can find more information about today's topic on our website at met.ie forward slash podcast. As always, you can subscribe to the podcast on the webpage or wherever you normally get your podcasts from and get in touch with us using the MetAaron Twitter and Facebook pages using the hashtag MetAaronPodcast or by emailing us at podcast at met.ie. Thanks for all your comments and suggestions so far. Playing us out this month are the MetAaron Choir, the Isobars with Bad Moon Rising. We hope you'll join us again next month, but until then, thanks for listening. And take care. I see a bad moon rising I see trouble on the way I see earthquakes and lightning I see bad times today Don't go around tonight It's bound to take your life There's a bad moon on the rise I hear hurricanes are blowing I know the end is coming soon I fear rivers overflowing I hear the
raging room Don't go around tonight It's bound to take your life There's a bad moon on the rise things together I hope you're quite prepared to die Looks like we're in for nasty weather One eye is taken for an eye Oh, don't go round tonight It's bound to take your life There's a bad moon on the rise Oh, don't go around tonight It's bound to take your life There